0: Hello and welcome to The Mal and Johnny Show. Now, in chatting to Johnny this week, we we started thinking about people who've been influential in our lives and also in our careers. And it's always nice to say thank you, isn't it? Because we have, what, nothing comes from nothing. Nothing ever could. Uh, Johnny, your idea, who who were you thinking of when you first came up with this idea for this week's podcast?
1: Well, there are a number of people through my life that have actually influenced me. I mean, my father, obviously, and my mother because they were in show business. But other than that, when I was a kid, uh, being brought up, in my stake, um, I had a school teacher called Canoy Jenkins. Right? Wow, what a great and name. He, yeah, and he was the, uh, he was the history teacher. I think he, in retrospect, I think he must have been a guardsman at one time he had the shoes polished to death and he was a big tall man. He used to stride through with his walking stick, you know. Anyway, he used to bring, like, history alive. When he used to talk talk about it, he talked about the Siluris and the Ordovichis, the you know, the old tribes of Wales. And I can still remember it. You know? So I think things like that stick with you all your life, don't they?
0: Yeah. And did it make you feel special? Because uh, I know a couple of teachers didn't make you feel terribly special. You remember those as well a little bit, don't you?
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The maths teacher. I won't mention it, but he was a pain he <laughs> <laughs> he used to hit everybody with his cane <laughs> he used to call people names he used to call one kid donkey because he wasn't too bright but that wasn't very kind and he used to call me nine pints because the old man had a pub I mean you know he's one of those <laughs> Isn't it that I
0: mean, I mean without being uh, you know ageist that's like 70 years ago you're remembering those exact words it's amazing right. when people speak to you and speak into you Yeah, you, you never forget do you
1: well, no, I, I probably told you this story before, but the headmaster in the junior school, I, I was always bad in school because I think I must, must have had ADHD or something, so I couldn't concentrate. I learned more since leaving school than ever before. And um, I won a, a swimming gala. So we're all in the, in the hall now, ready for, um, for, for you know the set assembly, and he's handing out the certificates. And he said, John Griffiths, that's my full name, John Judah Griffiths, he won the, and he gives me my certificate. And he says to everybody, See, even John Griffiths can do something. I mean, I mean <laughs> it would have scarred me if I'd have been, a, a, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but Cunard was great. And, and, you know, as I say, he used to bring it to life. But then there was another man, when I went to work first, I went to work in a shop. See, before I went into show business, I used to work in a man's shop selling clothes. I started off in John Colliers in Cardiff, but then when my father moved to Port Albert, he he was running the casino. I went to work for Hodges Menswear. See, and the manager was a a guy called Tom Alsop. Now, this guy, he was a character, you couldn't make him up. Um, (laughs) The first day I turned up for work, he stood there in his overcoat and his hat, and he's counting money with his gloves on. See, (laughs) because it was cold, right? (laughs) He said, Mr Griffiths, I said, yeah, yeah, I've been waiting for you. He said, um, let me show you. Now, this is the fancy department here. Now, that's your responsibility. I don't want to see it again, right? He said, and over there, you'll see an overall and some and some gloves and a hat. Go downstairs, you will find a furnace. And you will start the furnace to start the central engine." I thought, what's going on here? <laughs> I'm trying to sell clothes, you know. He said, <laughs> he, was so he said, you start, he said, with some paper, some sticks, Two lumps of steam coal, no more or less. And when it's going, you put on the anthracite. I thought, this is daft. (laughs) Anyway, but I got to like this man. He was something else. He taught me. He taught me to think positive. Yeah. For instance, it's Christmas uh, Eve, and the place was like ransacked. All the stock had gone nearly. It was 10 minutes to six on Christmas Eve. We're about to go home. And this guy walks in. He says, got any ties? And we had about six left. (laughs) I said, well, you've got six ties left. Is there any good take your pick? Tom, Mr Griffiths, what do you mean we have six? We have six attractive ties. Which one do you want? Negativity will get you nowhere. And he's right. <laughs> yeah. Never be negative. There's no point. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but he was, a, he was a tyrant, but I liked him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, he was And a tyrant. You, he became big pals, you know. And I, I'd go and see him after I went to the show because i called back and see him in the shop. Ah, put the kettle on, Mr Griffiths, grab a cup of tea. Oh, and he was no. like, you know, he was great. He was like... Um, I'm trying to think of there's anybody like him. He's a haberdasher, you know. Oh. A bit like the guy. Da- yeah, what was the guy that was in um,
0: Grace Brothers? In, uh, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, you know,
1: it was, yeah. But Dad's Army. Oh. Uh, uh, Low. Lo, somebody. Uh,
0: oh, I thought what? Um... Arthur
1: yeah, yeah. He was a bit like him, you oh, know, yes, but he, mean, But he was Indian. I loved him. He was a great guy, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so and then I think who else was there? Well, people like that I never met? Like Richard Burton inspired me. Right, I I still love to listen to Under Milk Wood. The voice used to get to me, you know, it was fantastic. Yeah, and um, I'd go on the ship. I'd take Under Milk Wood with me on my headphones, and when I wasn't working, I'd be up on deck with the headphones listening to Under Milk Wood. You know, wow. but, and he, of course he was from Port Albert, so yeah. there was that connection. You know, yeah. I'm thinking what about, about you?
0: you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm thinking in school now there was a, a chap called Peter Williams. Oh, right. I always referred to him as Peter Bongo Williams. Uh, so he was, uh, he was in charge of a class, but given the role of setting up the school band, right? So yeah. he used to play. And I can still remember it now. He used to play a lovely, lovely big guitar, and he never had a plectrum, so he. W- <laughs> he would take his cigarette packets and cut them up and use the cardboard for it for but for right, right, right. he was he introduced me to all these sort of folk songs like john Riley, uh, um streets of london um what was the bit, bit hit by thin Lizzy? um i went broke in the mountain uh, your daddy whiskey in the jarro oh, sorry got there eventually whiskey in the taught jar, me all those yeah. songs and we had a couple of couple of girl singers and then there was uh, michael I wish you to play the bongos as well because they were mr Peter bongo Williams's bongos and yeah. he so used to meet sort of most lunchtimes uh, to have a band practice and he gave me my first sort of break you know he knew I was writing songs so he put mm. me on the stage you know he said right yeah, yeah. Edwin, you're gonna sing your songs now to the whole of the school I must have yeah. been nine or ten years old, you know. Yeah, yeah. But he had that confidence in yeah. me to uh, actually go out and and I, you know, I suppose you need your first break, don't you? You need somebody to say you can do this. Well, that's go right. And go and well, it's.
1: I'm it. like thinking of my. Well, now you've reminded me. My my first dancing teacher, a lady called Kitty Slocum. She she was. She famous in Cardiff and she, she taught lots of people who made it quite big, like Irvin Davis, who became a huge um, choreographer in London. She do all the Silla Black shows and so on. And uh, she was my mother's teacher and she was a big influence. I, I, she came up the pub one day and, and I'd seen somebody on TV. I think it was uh, Sammy Davis or something. Said, I want to dance like that. She said, Come down. She said, I'll teach you. And she did. And the very first show I ever did, I was about 14, I think. And um, I wore my father's dress suit. It must have been small when he, because it was like a, it was a tail suit, right? Right. And uh, it was at the Memorial Hall in Barry. Right. And she taught me this step and I tapped right across the stage, tapped on, tapped and then tapped off the other side. That was it. Wow. But I was doing pieces. I was think, oh, I was so nervous, Sean, going on stage, you know. Yeah. But that was the first time I ever went on a stage.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, then I suppose in your professional career, somebody like, well, like Dorothy, Dorothy Squires, you know, to give you those those breaks to to play the yeah. London Palladium and stuff like that. That you know, it shows that someone who knows what they're talking about uh, has yeah. the confidence in putting you in that in that position.
1: Well, I remember I was telling my old man on that night we did the Palladium, nineteen seventy one, I think it was, and uh, my father was there, and he said, "Thanks for doing this, Dorothy." Said, "You know, I really appreciate it." So she said, "Well, I did it for you, but for what you did for me when I was starting," she said. "But well, I tell you something, I wouldn't have done it if you was no bloody good." <laughs> I thought that was, like, at least he was honest, didn't he?
0: Honest to the, yeah, to the nth degree. Um, and Stan, uh, Stan, Stan Stan it must have been good for you as well?
1: Stan was a big influence on me with the pantomimes. I mean, you've learned so much from just watching Stan, the way he could go on a stage and command the children. I mean, it was like magic. He'd walk on. They didn't know who he was. He'd go, <laughs> make a few funny <laughs> noises, play a guitar chord and go, hello, kids. And they go, hello, Billy. And then you come as one. You're in my gang now, boys. Okay. Everything I do, you gotta do it. You know? And he just got him in the palm of his hand. And the way he'd walk on, as soon yeah. as you inter- introduced him, you know, his music was that da da da. And he'd walk across the stage and he wouldn't look at the audience. And then just as he got middle of the stage, he'd go. And they they'd come up and you know, it was just his timing was so good, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I did so many pantos with Sam. It was crazy. Yeah.
0: Okay. So um in my professional career, I suppose John Peel. Uh, and his producer, you know, writing to my dad, having that, you know, saying we think he's good enough to be on the radio. I mean, that was, that was astounding. Uh, Steve Brown, a guy called Steve Brown who actually was Elton John's mentor. He's the guy who got him to stop writing Eurovision songs and start writing songs that would become <laughs> Elton John songs, you know, produced his first it. album. And he came to Swansea and signed me and was always a big supporter. I remember he wrote to him, um, to the record company once. He'd sort of split from the record company and I'd done some demos with Elton John and yeah. they were running and hiring about what to do next. And he wrote a letter to the, uh, the then new boss of Rocket Records and said, if you don't record and put this record out. The big pop star in the sky will make a year's drop off. <laughs> <laughs> so that was something like that. Gus Dudgeon, who produced Elton and, and um, David Bowie. I remember yeah. being in a, you know, in a limousine going back to his house, having done a session, him saying, God, I just wish I was you. <laughs> I think this man's got all these gold records, you know. Uh, yeah. What about
1: arrangers? Did you work with any good uh, arrangers?
0: Arrangers, no, God, let me just think now then. It was a bit different in those because what, what happened for me is that we re- it was the other way around. I know that you would have the the full Monty, wouldn't you, when you did record?
1: Yeah, yeah. I didn't write anything, I was just the singer, and the arranger would come in the new song and he'd arrange it with a 36 yeah. piece orchestra. Ooh. And it was amazing. You and in those days you recorded with the band, wow. you were in a box, yes. Uh to, to isolate you. But no, of course, it's done in bits, as you know. Yeah. Um and it was fun. And funny enough, sonata even to the end wouldn't work. Only that way. you had to work with the orchestra because he get the feel of the orchestra. Yeah, yeah. And I remember this book was called um, Arthur Greenslade, okay? Right. Now, Arthur Greenslade used to be Engelbert Humperdinck's conductor and Shirley Bassey's, okay? So this song I sang from Gibraltar, um, the B-side was like a, a jazz waltz, a bit like the last waltz, see? So yeah. when it finished, you went, oh, it's just like Eng. <laughs> <laughs> He told me a great story about Eng. He well, said, the thing yeah. is with Eng, yeah. on, yeah. he said, the thing with Eng, he said, he, he was doing this one uh, record. I don't know which one it was. And he couldn't get one part of it. He was throwing him. He couldn't do it. In the end, he said, we had all equipment in Great Yarmouth where he was doing the summer season. We're in his house trying to record this bit, which he couldn't, couldn't get. So in the end, Gordon Mills rang up Tom Jones. <laughs> he said, get up here, he said. So Jonesy came up. He said, "Sing that. And he did it like that. He said, I want it like that. <laughs> So no wonder they don't get off. You <laughs>
0: That's a great story. That's a
1: great story. Because Tom Jones is a natural, isn't he? He can, oh, yeah. he can sing anything.
0: Yeah, he doesn't think about it, he just does it. Just does just it.
1: Does it. Yeah.
0: yeah. So yeah, when I used to record, we you know, I'd go up there for my school holidays and then I'd play it on a guitar. And maybe we'd have yeah. a couple of, like a bass player or, or you know, the, the very first recording, playing on the a guitar. Then I'd go back and then a couple of weeks later they'd send me the track with an, with an orchestra on. Sometimes they'd start with a string quartet cause they didn't want to spend too much money. Then they think, oh well, sounds yeah. all right. Let's put a full orchestra on it. So the, the, the track used to grow in the, you know, in, as the week went past and I wasn't a part of it. Um, I, I did once did Eurovision live. Uh, with, yeah. Ronnie Hazelhurst, the Ronnie. Oh, Ronnie I, I worked
1: with him once. Yeah, <laughs> you, that was, he I came mean, to that, Wales. Did he? he came to Wales? He used to do the Margaret Williams show from HTV, oh. and I did one of Margaret's programs, Ronnie. Oh. Hazelhurst. Well, yeah. you know,
0: he, he knew his he knew his notes oh, and everything. And, good, yeah. um, you know that was that that is a wonderful experience singing with an orchestra. I don't think there's anything nothing
1: better, like you know? it, is there?
0: Nothing Unlike like it. it. Uh, Arrangers. There was a guy called Richard Hewson who did them um, because the thing is he. When I was doing stuff with this guy Gus Dudgeon. Mm. Um, Elton was in a sort of like an in-between time. He was thinking of mo- losing one band and, and changing to some other musicians. Mm. And so, and Gus was the biggest producer in the world at the time. So he he could get anybody to do work because if they did a good job on my tracks, they might get a chance to to do Elton's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A guy called Richard Houston who did a, did a couple of tracks on the Let It Be album with the Beatles. And he did these wonderful, you know, string and brass arrangements
1: for about yeah, four or five yeah. songs,
0: which have never been released. They've never seen the light of day. It's know? amazing. It? I got
1: big. I got like the 24 track or 32 track uh, stuff in my in my cellar like this. I mean, you can't use them now. I mean, but they're there, you know. You find I background. remember working with a bloke called Bill Shepherd, right. who used to be the arranger for the Bee Gees. Wow. And um, anyway, we did it in sections, like you just saying, because we were in this small studio in Denmark Street. It was for Southern Music Publishing, and they had their own little studio. On set. So you could only get so many people in there. Yeah. So they, they do the... The, the rhythm section first, yeah. then they'd bring in the girl singers, then they then they'd, then would bring in the, the brass, <laughs> then they bring in, and they did about five or six different, and just put it all together. You know, it was yeah. fantastic. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah Bill Shepard I'll never forget that. Larry Page, you know, you know Larry. Larry uh, Page, the actually, teenage rage. You know, because once you get, you know, once you get a reputation, you get a couple of hits. You know, we want the new sound. So this guy, I wonder if it's the same guy. He'd done some arrangements for the Bee Gees. Mm. and larry said right want him for my next you know hit record mm. and of course so he played gives him the song and he does the arrangement they come to the the session and um you know they they play the track and the orchestra is all there and nothing happens for like a two three minutes it's only a four yeah. three and a half minutes song and he's only done a string arrangement for the last minute and a half of the track oh. <laughs> and larry's going I'm paying him a lot of money. I want more notes. So he yeah had to yeah, go yeah. and scribble get some more. Get, you know, even though the guy, the arranger, thought he didn't need those extra bits.
1: It's exactly like Casner when I did the and He brought in, um, uh, oh, the guy that did all the live affair hits. What's his name? Uh, anyway, he, he brought him in to do the arrangement. Hmm. And he says, I want a great arrangement for John. I don't care what you spend, but I don't glockenspiel, one note. Fifteen quid, because <laughs> it used to be fifteen quid a session back
0: oh, in the sixties. I, I need a saxophone player who made his whole career on three bars. I think it was for Bolero with um, you know, duh, 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 duh. you get really play a saxophone in the middle. You sit there all the, yeah. way, all the way through all night and just play. Do you
1: remember? That? Do you remember, um, uh, Peter Starsted? Oh, where'd you go to my lovely? Yeah, I love those. Well, guys. I always liked that song, right? Now, and, and I was in, I worked with him in South Africa. Oh. We were on the same bill in 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 South Africa, and he liked me, and he said, "I'm going to write you a song," John, he said. Right. So he wrote me a song all about Rumney Valley. It's quite good, actually. I got it on somewhere. Anyhow, um, I always I asked him. I said, Do "You know, when you did where'd you go to my lovely?" I mean, wanted to know this. If you listen to it, it's just guitar all the way through. All of a sudden, the strings come in for the last chorus, don't they? Right. Mm. Just the last chorus. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, cost a fortune. There we are. Yeah. Makes the difference. Um, one last person then for me to mention: the guy called Michael Bogdanov. Oh, all right, Michael Bogdanov. Now, Michael the director quite, the director had quite a reputation for being I mean, you know a number of times i said i'm never working with that man again you know but he was, he was brilliant <laughs> he won olivia awards he'd worked yeah, with yeah. all the big big stars helen Mirren used to babysit his kids and you know they were they were big mates in that sort of london new shakespeare yeah, stuff yeah. um but when I, I had this idea for a musical about the welsh revival i went to the grand theater and uh, the the manager of the grand theater Gary, Hart, said. You should see Michael off because he's you know, he's like almost like the resident director here for creating new work. And I was you know, I was a bit terrified of Michael because of his reputation. Um, but I That's went fun. to see him and he was great. He was great. Yeah. And and he said, mm, So when do you want to do it? I said, Well it's the centenary of the revivals, two thousand and four. He said, No, it can't be done. How about two thousand and five? And from that moment when he said, We're gonna do this in two thousand and five, I suddenly thought, This man believes I can write a musical. That's right. And it was it was wonderful. And you know, he encouraged me to write another musical about the boxer, Tommy Farr And in fact, just before he passed away, I was in London talking to him and a guy called Guy Masterson about a new musical about Richard Burton.
1: Oh, right. Nice, yeah.
0: So he still had, you know, when people have faith in you, when they yeah. totally, cause he was totally, um, totally confident in his own ability. He, he never, yeah, yeah. never doubted his own ability cause he had a track record and the, and the trophies to prove it. So he didn't, he didn't have to make himself big to make other people look, you know, small
1: oh he, that's right he would yeah. build up yeah.
0: the writer to be the most yeah. important you know without the words on the page or the music on the stage yeah
1: yeah didn't him. he pass lately didn't he die? yeah, yeah.
0: it was a year ago and it, it typical of michael he was in greece he just spent the evening with his family he had, yeah, yeah. had a glass of red wine and he just sort of slipped away with oh. and you know if he if he could have directed his passing
1: that would know, have been that's
0: what he would have done
1: so. do you remember D- david howell the actor dh D.
0: I saw him the other day, yes, he's still going strong.
1: Well, D.H. got a, a company called what I take, okay? <laughs> so he, he rings me up. I, no, all the way was on a ship somewhere in China, and she rings and said, D.H. Oh, wants you to direct his pantomime. <laughs> See? So he said, okay, I'll be home. And when I came, so I did, I directed three of his pantomime, and they were shown on S4C. But the funny thing, he said, I want a musical now, John. This is what reminded me of what you just said. So what kind of musical? Anything, as long as it's Welsh. So I said, uh, what about... Um, and I just him, what about William Price? I said he was a character. Oh yeah, doing about William Price. I said when do you want it by? He said, um, well, I booked all the theatres. I said what? <laughs> I said, <laughs> we had to write a musical, all in there, with about twelve songs in English and Welsh because he was going to do it both languages, and we did it. Don't ask us how we did it, but we did well, it. But
0: well, he knew you could do it. That's the good thing. Well, you had faith. Oh, he had God faith in you and all a of it. Character,
1: a Character, character. Yeah,
0: and I suppose it's incumbent on us to encourage the next generation, isn't it? That's right,
1: that's right. Mm. But where are they going to go? See, it, it worries me about, you know, you see these kids starting now, and I don't know where they're going to go. Mm. I mean, actors, I suppose, If you, but then most of the actors are at work, unfortunately. But, I mean, you take performers as such. I mean, where are they going to work? They win something on TV, mm-hmm. and they do a tour, and that's it. Yeah. There's no, unless they get into a musical, mm. there's no clubs like we had. The nightclub circuit, uh, all the cabaret circuits are all gone. The variety's gone. I mean... I don't know where they work. Excuse it's a me. funny business. It's totally changed. But As Wynne Calvin told us, we were blessed. We were blessed. God.
0: We were blessed.
1: <laughs> we
0: are working. I
1: remember he told me, talking about influence, when I was working in John Colliers, he came in, right? And I was 16, and then he came to buy some clothes. He said, John, if you're going to show business, I'll probably follow the old man." He said, "But well, it's great you're working in a clothes shop. It shows you how to look after your problems. <laughs> I never forgot that
0: either. There we are. Another <laughs> another good influence on your career. All right. Look, we're well, lovely to speak to you. And enjoy, you. Enjoy the lovely weather. And I'll see you next week. I'll
1: see you next week. We'll think of something else to talk about. It's <laughs> goodbye from him. And it's goodbye from you. ta da ta